Welcome Hel- back, everybody. Oh, Hi! talking all over ourselves. <laughs> Welcome back <laughs> to the fifth episode of the No Name Denver Sports Podcast. So you can tell the Broncos have been on by this week, so we have also been on by. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have a little bit to uh, get back in the swing of things. <laughs> so let's maybe start on rumors on the coaching carousel. We've hit in pretty much every one of these. Advanced Joseph is likely gone. We on that before the season started and he hasn't disappointed us so far <laughs> but a couple other names uh, have started cropping up notably John Harbo and Mike McCarthy as potential coaches who are also going to be on their way out that could be Bronco candidates I suppose if we want to toss Todd Bowles in he did mm-hmm. dominate the Broncos a few weeks ago for the Jets but that's since true. then they've been horrifically bad so I'm not sure that that's really a, a hired we'd want to do but uh, I don't know what are your what are your thoughts on those coaches and the possibility that that could be a good fit for Denver yeah, I mean, um, I, it's looking more and more like Vance Joseph, regardless of how the rest of the season goes, is not going to be fired until the end of the season. Um, I think it's it's pretty well guaranteed he'll, he'll be gone uh, as soon as the Broncos season ends, which will be sooner rather than later because they have almost no chance of making the playoffs <laughs> at this point. But I don't think that Elway is is going to throw in the towel and make a a coaching change in the middle of the season and and go with an interim for the remainder of the games. So at this point, it's really focusing on um, who can replace fans by the time uh, the end of December comes and goes, and and we're looking at next year. Uh, Probably... The strongest name out there is is potentially John Harbaugh with the Ravens, um, as rumor mill has it that um, he will be leaving Baltimore uh, mutually in agreement uh, after the season ends. Um, I don't know. You gotta how... gotta love those mutual breakups. Yes, They're total, yes. that's totally legit. It's a... <laughs> It happens all the time. Yes, both sides equally decide yes, to do that. Every relationship, business <clears throat> and personal, always equally. Um, and we both we both <laughs> think this is the right choice. We we both messed up. We both could have improved in areas, and we both think that we should just go other directions at this point. <laughs> um, however, while while that's probably the best name out there, I I feel like it's. Not very likely to happen. Um, There are probably a little bit more desirable coaching gigs that are going to be available uh, at the end of the season with a little bit more up-and-coming talent um, that could be enticing for um, a head coach to um, develop. And the Broncos really don't have a lot, honestly, to show for on the team to, to really convince a, a bigger name to come to the Broncos. I mean, I, I do think the Broncos have a lot of talent on the roster, but they don't... What are we going to do at quarterback next year? I mean, that's that's a big question right there off the bat. Are you, are you going to try to suffer through another season of Case Keenum trying to find his way on the Broncos? Or are you going to try to go quarterback with a top round in the draft next year? Because let's face it, the Broncos probably will have another high pick this upcoming year. So they don't even know who their their starting quarterback will potentially be for next season. There's just not a lot to entice a name like John Harbaugh, who has um, at least coaching credentials uh, and a, a Super Bowl win under his belt to come play for the Broncos. Well, well, let's push back on that a little bit because, I mean, quarterback's certainly uncertain and that's going to be the biggest disadvantage of it. But this draft, I mean, you look at the rookie class across all these all these teams and it's arguably the strongest rookie class of any any of them out there with a ton of people who are contributing as as starters who are just just um, 
just coming in the league, right? Bradley Chubb is starting to figure figure things out. Sutton's starting to figure things out. Um, Josie Jewell is starting to get in there quite a bit more. I mean, he's probably making Brandon Marshall expendable at the end of the season if he hasn't already. Um, I mean, there is a fair amount of youth talent on, on the team that if you have, especially if you have another draft that becomes pretty strong, there's potentially, you, you know, you have a, it opens up realistically a three to five year window of a lot of talent on the cheap. And if you could figure out how to patch some of those key positions, even temporarily, that's maybe enough to be able to sustain. I mean, it's kind of the the Philadelphia model, you know, this this young team where you don't have the big contracts yet, that you can potentially make make a couple runs. Yeah, I, I would maybe say that if the Broncos had more than one strong recent draft class, um, this year was a really good sign for the Broncos. It was probably the, the first draft in, in some time where they've had a lot of success with those those rookies that they've drafted. But if we look at even last season and who was drafted for the Broncos. Uh, Garrett Bowles. Yeah, where most of those guys aren't even on the team anymore. And the ones that are are um, shown week after week for drawing stupid penalties and not doing their job right. So I would, I would maybe agree with that if there was at least – another recent uh, draft class that was somewhat strong to fall back on but it's a lot of unknowns when you have yeah your your most recent draft class has a lot of emerging talent looks really strong but what else do you have to show um we don't know quite where the broncos will be next year as far as what draft picks they'll have and besides a lot of good ones besides Someone like Von Miller, who is an established veteran on the team, you don't have a lot of superstar talent to really work with. And on top of that, you have an overbearing, controlling boss in John Elway that um, really, you'll, you'll, if you have any sort of um, um, sense on what you want to do, will probably um, have to fall backseat to ultimately what John Elway wants. Yeah, I think. I think it really is going to be, I mean, we talked about it last week a little bit too. What does Elway want from his coach, right? I mean, it's it's tough to tell, you know, does he want um, does does he want a coach who's going to continue to basically be a, a yes man and just implement whatever vision that Elway has by himself without any sort of checks and balances? Or is he going to want somebody a little more, I mean, it's, it's actually tough to tell. I mean, there's an argument that says that Elway has not really had a strong-willed coach who's willing to you know, push back on some things. I think Kubiak could push up back on some things to a degree because he had Elway's ear, but he wasn't somebody who was going to, you know, push back more forcefully and draw a line and say, you know, I fundamentally disagree and I'm holding it here. John Fox really wasn't that coach either. Mm-hmm. Um, Vance certainly isn't. Um, you know, does, will Elway turn some things over? I mean, John Harbaugh, it's it's interesting because, I mean, he coexisted with Ossie Newsom, who has pretty strong opinions. I don't know that he's as, as overbearing. I think that's a fair word. As Elway, but I mean, he was able to coexist on some things. Uh, Mike McCarthy, the other coach, brought up. Uh, I mean, he he existed with Ted Thompson for a long time, but honestly, Ted Thompson wasn't very overbearing mm-hmm. on things either. I mean, Ted Thompson was a pretty unique GM, and this is maybe good and bad. I mean, he never played. He was notorious for never playing even in the free agency market. So, uh, Mike McCarthy actually could be an interesting pick on that because it meant that it was all homegrown talent. Right. He had to train up a whole bunch of new people, and for a Broncos team that is potentially moving into a pretty substantial youth movement because you've got aging veterans who are overpriced at, at this point for the execution they're doing on a bad team that needs to, to rejigger, it's it's going to be all about youth. Uh, perhaps you know that 
living in an environment like that and building people up, at least initially in his in his career. I mean, the last three, four years in Green Bay haven't been great. Um, but initially, he showed a lot of promise with that. For sure. Yeah, I think out of those, those emerging names, I think maybe Mike McCarthy would be a better bet for the Broncos to pursue over John Harbaugh. Um, I, I just honestly think that there's not enough to, to draw John Harbaugh to the Broncos when there are going to be more enticing options um, for him to, to go after he ends with Baltimore. Um, but I, I think I, Mike McCarthy would probably be a, a more desirable choice for me at this point than trying to find what we did the last round with, with what we ended up going with Vance, which is finding some kind of no-name up-and-comer up who's had a couple years of coordinator work under his belt and who is just desperate for his head coaching job and will do whatever needs to be done in order to get it. Because at this point, I just don't feel like the Broncos are, are very enticing to bring anyone in who has um, a, a good resume um, into the organization, which is what they need at this point. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, <laughs> that makes quite a bit of sense. I think Harbaugh, I mean, uh, so... I was reading on it that Harbaugh has a lot of connections to the Cleveland area, which is obviously searching. Um, and the opportunity not just to work with, you know, um, as you mentioned earlier uh, before this, you know, work with a nice up-and-coming quarterback at Baker Mayfield. Um, mm -hmm. But the chance to stick it to your old team twice a year, there's certainly something to that, or at least try to. Um, I mean, I think McCarthy, I think McCarthy's a real possibility, though. It's that second... That second turn coach, which is what John Fox was, which is what Gary Kubiak was, um, fits that model. I mean, the Broncos had pretty good success with that. Right. Um, it's it's a bit of the coaching retread, but I mean, both both were able to achieve a pretty good amount of success here, um, and somebody who could potentially who could potentially coexist with Elway. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we look at the recent history of head coaches with the Denver Broncos, they have had their most success with those retread coaches. Anytime. The last two times they've gone with that up-and-comer new guy is Vance Joseph and Josh McDaniels before that. And yep. though those have been the two worst time periods in Denver Broncos history. So <laughs> maybe we should step away from that model and try to find that young, cheap guy with their big, bold ideas and um, maybe go with someone who's has at least a little bit of a background, a little bit of a resume, who can hopefully put up a, a little bit of a fight and their opinions with John Elway. And I think um, to kind of a little bit what you um, touched on as far as what Elway wants, I kind of think he, he ultimately wants the yes man coach, but I think he has to realize and maybe is realizing that if he wants to keep his job, he needs to maybe um, look in a different avenue as well. Um, to, to go with someone who has who can, who can say no to him maybe will ultimately save his job in the long term as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly hard-pressed to think that Elway would think that his job's in jeopardy. <laughs> I'm not sure that he feels that way. I think he still has a ton of latitude with the, uh, the current leadership of the team, which we hit on a fair amount mm -hmm. in the last podcast. Um, but, I mean, d d does he have, if I frame it differently but kind of towards the same end does he have the hubris to hire not what he wants but what he needs right and i think that's the biggest question i don't know i i think that john elway thinks very highly of himself as he thinks himself in press conferences i mean so uh, one of the greatest <laughs> one of the greatest press conferences of all the time but does he have enough humility to maybe take a step back and 
look and say, maybe I don't have all the answers and I need to put someone else in place who has some different ideas um, and, and can maybe come up with things or look at things differently than I do. Mm-hmm. So that I guess that's that's our big question going into the off season, which is rapidly approaching. <laughs> so let's talk some on that. And we hit on a little bit before. So people who I think are at risk of getting cut. Um, so, I mean, I think the Broncos are in a position where they're going to have to start reloading. They have a lot of expensive veterans on the wrong side of 30 on a team that's probably going to have consecutive, you know, back-to-back losing seasons. First um, time in over 40 years. Yep, since the, what, 72? Something Yikes. like that. 74, since, one of the two. I mean, since before I was born. So, yep. I, I have never known about In a time before Sarah or myself. I'm not that old. <laughs> before I was even a thought to enter this universe. So, this is this is very new for me. This, is, this can be a little hard to come to grips with. <laughs> so, I mean, I think... Right off the bat, I mean, there's a there's a few candidates. I think um, Brandon Marshall and I honestly think Todd Davis are both gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Darian Stewart, especially now that he's showing signs of getting hurt, I think he's gone as well. Um, you know, Josie Jewell makes at least Brandon Marshall expendable. I think Todd Davis, you know, there's a tough argument to say that he's playing at a, whatever he is, five to six million a year contract. Um, on the offensive side, I mean, DT's already gone. Um mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think, uh, well, I mean, on the least, offense, I guess they don't have a ton of money left in the offense, which, okay. you know, shows up on the at field. Le- at least the, the one strong point I think they do have in the young uh, the younger side of this team is uh, the running back situation on offense. So, mm-hmm. at least that is one piece where they have not had to spend a lot of money but have a lot of success and probably don't need to, to look at doing anything with for some mm-hmm. time. So, that's that's their their one strong point we can we can agree with. <laughs> yep. I think if they cut a couple of those guys, um, Sanders isn't Sanders is going to have to they're going to have to make a decision as to how to re-sign him. Uh, mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see does he take more of a team friendly contract to try to play out the stretch here or not. Um, but I mean, you make a couple key strategic cuts, and this team has almost sixty million dollars of cap room next year. Right. So what? Do you, I mean, we hit on it a little bit before, but I mean, what do you do with sixty million dollars? Yeah. So which brings us back to what we spent a lot of time talking about on the last episode: Can John Elway actually invest that sixty million in worthwhile areas, or can he not attract some of those top um, free agents that may not be or that may be available to invest in? And does he have to settle for tier two and tier three guys and mm-hmm. pay them the same amount of money? So where would you invest though? Let's let's pretend it was you. What are the maybe the top three areas that you would invest free agent money to? I mean, something I like on Elway, at least from a principle, even though I'm not sure he's executing it, is use free agency to plug the keyholes and then you build through the draft. Sure. Well, it's hard for me to to pinpoint specifics at this point because I don't know everyone on who's going to be available by the season and on on what realistically would would be where you should be focusing on throwing your money at to invest on the free agency market. I mean, we have some ideas, but ultimately not sure where that's going to pan out yet. Um, Obviously, one of our our biggest Achilles heels um, on the Broncos that has been a a pressure point for years and years and years is the offensive line. Um, The problem is I'm not sure what kind of talent is going to be out there on the free agency market to invest that money in to to strengthen that offensive line. But that's been a, a, a... pressure point for a long time that Peyton Manning was able to mask his time in Denver because he could release the ball so quickly. Well, so let's talk about something that Elway hasn't been consistent at either on one of these things. One of the top free agents um, on the offensive line this coming year is Matt Paradis. 
You know, yes. is is Elway mm-hmm. going to swoop in and try to sign him? I mean, he just got hurt, but the mm-hmm. every, every all signs point to him being healthy by training camp next year. It's not a long term injury necessarily that potentially has lasting impact. Um, do you think Elway attempts to re-sign Paradis, and does he try to do it beforehand, or does he end up in a situation of creating a bidding war? I could, you know, I could see him trying to re-sign Paradis, and to be fair to Elway, it's not that he hasn't tried investing in the offensive line. He just has not done a very good job of investing on his free agents picks. I mean, we had Evan Mathis, um, which was supposed to be a big signing that didn't turn out uh, really doing anything <laughs> for the offensive line. Although historically, <laughs> one of his best offensive line free agent pickups. <laughs> I mean, so to be fair, it's... It's not that he is ignorant to the offensive line, and he knows that that that, that whole um, area needs help. It's just an issue of how um, how he's investing that money and if he's putting it in the right guys. Um, so, well, so I think something that'll be interesting to watch with Paradis a little bit is, and something I've I've struggled with on Elway is trying to. I mean, when you build through the draft, and this is let's go back on the Green Bay model. The intent was to build through the draft and those top people that you drafted who did well end up with the lucrative contract extensions to become a core of the team for the next six, six to eight years after, you know, after their initial rookie contract runs out. Um, and I think it's something I always struggled with. Um, Malik Jackson, you know, really, really started to shine and they completely bypassed and did not try to offer him something. Uh, he's the most, I'd say, egregious example of some of those things. But I mean, there are other free agents that... You know, L.A. doesn't necessarily pursue, and then they they leave the Broncos and they go on to have some pretty lucrative uh, lucrative contracts and lucrative careers elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, is he is he willing and able to? And there's another example. If I did the math correctly, um, coming up eventually. But well, I mean, the so the other example is this: Bond's contract runs out, I think, a year before they have to re-sign Chubb. Yeah. And Bond will be on the wrong side of thirty. You know what? What does he do? Right. And I mean, we can certainly see from Elway's history that um, he he definitely treats the Broncos as a business. You, while you can give so much respect to your tenured guys on the team and thank them endlessly for everything they've contributed, ultimately, th- what what what's going to be best for me? What's what's going to be saving me money and get me more draft picks um, for he, for he, this organization? He the, bought and sold too many. Uh, too many second tier used cars though i think if we <laughs> if we see the results on the field right i mean you can put a, a thank you banner over the giant picture of your player you just traded away um, <laughs> on the front of the stadium and and say that you're you're recognizing him and recognizing him and put up a video tribute before the game starts but ultimately what's more important that money is off the books and I have some more draft picks for next season and I don't really care that you may have, um, you may be closing in on some of our all-time records for the Denver Broncos. So ultimately, um, while Von Miller is is a superstar and is breaking records, um, climbing up those, those NFL records total um, every single day with what he's doing, if it comes down to it as a business move goes, which we see... Um, and it's not just the Broncos. We see it all the time with with aging veterans, uh, superstars. Is when you have a, a new guy who's who's younger and has more years left to play, and mm-hmm. maybe has a chance to break those records. You're going to invest in them over your your veteran any day. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be interesting. That's a mm-hmm. tough decision to make, but at the same point in time, 
Well, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit on the core identity of, of the team as well. I mean, in something like that. I mean, what as the Broncos continue to go, I mean, I think that it's obvious Elway's wanted to be a more defensive-oriented team, right? He pivoted that way after Super Bowl Forty Eight. Um, and generally, we certainly are. Probably pivot a little too much. That pendulum swung pretty aggressively. Now we have a, a defunct offense. Um, you know, can he strike a balance and get that offense to... I mean, honestly, you just need a mm-hmm. top 15 offense probably and a top 5 defense to sure. have a realistic chance at, at winning. I mean, I think if they patched up on defense, I mean, depth of cornerback is a massive problem. Sure. Um, I think if they can get some more cornerback depth, um, that certainly helps. Right? Especially now, you've, you've got to think that Roby's not going to be re-signed. Right. Um, the rookies just do not look prepared at all to play out there. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, it's but it's safety. They're strong. I mean, there's a fair amount of depth at safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think linebacker. They need some more depth at linebacker. But defensive line, they're stacked. Uh, sure. I mean, if you if you punch if you plug some holes at cornerback, you plug some holes at at linebacker. You've potentially refortified that side of the ball. And then, I mean, it's a couple key changes on, on offense, which may still end up being quarterback, that elusive unicorn that we're chasing all over the place, <laughs> um, to at least get back to mediocrity. Right. Well, and, and let's be fair. There, there are still a few more years left before we ever hopefully have to broach the situation of does Vaughn get re-signed? <laughs> I'm not, we're not saying that, or at least I am not saying that Elway is going to trade away Vaughn and cut him at the end of this season. But uh, historically... Uh, every player wants to to be a lifer on a team and spend their whole career with the team. If, sure. if they've, you know, I, I mean, as as long as it's a good team, I'm, I'm sure no one really looks at like the Cleveland Browns and says, "I want to spend my entire life here with this organization and in this state that they've been uh, in for years and years name? and years." Joe, Tom- Joe Thomas, though, that's on Darla too. Joe Thomas but is going to go out as a Cleveland great, that, that's playing true. left tackle on a pretty horrendous team. That's true. But most most players, they, they want to spend their career with one team. And historically, it just unfortunately doesn't pan out for most players. Um, I mean, even Peyton Manning and did his career as a Denver Bronco. Joe yep. Montana went to, to the Chiefs. I mean, yep. there is, it's very rare that one player gets to spend their entire career um, successfully on one team. So, well, I, let's... I, I'm sure that if it comes down to it, the Broncos will do what they can to to keep Von Miller a Denver Bronco when it comes to that point in time. They're certainly not going to pull a John Gruden and trade him away uh, <laughs> like uh, they <laughs> Khalil Mack earlier this season. But it's it's just it's just reality is that it, it may not pan out that way mm-hmm. when depending on where the team is at that point in time and where the finances are and what they have available to invest in up-and-coming talent it's it just may not may not happen yep so everyone myself included prepare yourself that one day those von miller jerseys <laughs> that you wear may not be relevant um in that <laughs> point in time <laughs> although i'm a big fan of alumni jerseys i don't like to really invest in a lot of jerseys um unless they're they've, they're actually proven players on the team and, and have some Good historical status. I don't like buying new players' jerseys. I like buying the the old and true, even if they're they've moved on somewhere else. Yep. I mean, I'll give a sh- shout out to Scott, who I know is listening to this, who whose Jake Butt jersey showed up the day that he tore his ACL. <laughs> uh, so I mean, those those can be those can be tough tough to go through. Hey, I learned my 
lesson. I bought an Elvis Dumerville jersey, and then the next year a fax machine ruined yeah. that, that that whole uh, career with the Broncos. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we had a lifer. Didn't didn't turn out. <laughs> it's a fast changing league. <laughs> well, so let's let's talk about lifers. Though so the next game is is the Chargers, mm-hmm. and they have they have a lifer of their own in Philip Rivers. Um, a team that I think is flying under the radar right now, but honestly is, is ripped off a six or seven game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're keeping pace with the Chiefs. Everyone's in, in love with Mahomes and everything that he brings to the table. But, you know, I mean, the Chargers, uh, yeah, I think, you know, in my preseason uh, Super Bowl bet, I, I picked the Chargers. We'll you see did. if that pans out. But so far, they're not looking horrible. I mean, uh, how's this stack up? Aside from the fact that it's StubHub Stadium, so it'll be full of Broncos fans. Right. Uh, what's what's left of our fan base at this point <laughs> in the season? Well, I think the Broncos, what they have going for them, besides the fact that um, they're essentially will be playing a home game in L.A. because <laughs> the majority of those fans in the stadium will be Broncos fans, um, is that they are coming off a bye week on top of that. So they've had extra time to um, rest, regroup, and game plan for the Chargers. So they, they do have that going for them. Um you know, I, I the Chargers, they haven't flying under the radar. They're one of those teams this year that I, even though they're in the AFC West and one of our division rivals, I honestly have not been paying that much attention to them because they, they're in that weird transitional period playing in a rent-a-stadium in L.A. And all of the focus is on um, the Chiefs and, and Mahomes right now. And with the Broncos season pretty much um, thrown into the fire at this point, it's, it's not someone that, that I've been watching – um, as closely as, as a potential foe. So, um, I mean, the Chargers aren't blowing anybody out, I don't think. I mean, with a couple exceptions. But they're really, they're they're grinding it out on offense, on defense. They're, on defense, they're imposing their will. I mean, they've got a great pass rush, even without Joey Bosa, um, who I don't know exactly when he's expected back. Probably just in time to clobber Keenum, not this game, but the next one. <laughs> Probably. Um, but, I mean, it's actually, I mean, from a matchup standpoint, I think it's, Probably pretty bad news for the Broncos. The only thing I don't know as much about them is the uh, run defense, but as the Broncos keep demonstrating, we seem to have an allergic reaction when we try to commit to uh, arguably our team's greatest strength. <laughs> um, I mean, the the pass, the pass rush, the pass defense of the Chargers is going to be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I think against Phillip Rivers, I mean, it's a tough matchup because he, he sees the field very, very well. He is at home, even though it's not really a home experience for him. Um, you know, I mean, now all these teams are basically their their passing offense revolves around wherever Chris Harris isn't. Let's go that way. Um, and Rivers will, Rivers is no different. Harris has caused a lot of misery for Philip Rivers of, over the last uh, last several years. But I think, I mean, it's it's tough because I think this team is just it's it's the I'm just good enough to get you beat type of thing. I actually think the Broncos hang in this game. Mm-hmm. I think they hang in one, maybe two scores back. Um, make it a little interesting into the fourth, and then they're ultimately just going to find a way to shoot themselves in the foot because of some of the discipline issues. Sure. And San Diego is a team right now that's not making a lot of mistakes, and they're doing what good teams do. You don't make a lot of mistakes, and you capitalize and the other team does. I I actually think this is a, a game that the Broncos can and, and probably should win. I mean, they've, they've shown over the last few weeks that – they can play tough and, and they can hang in those games that they, they should be getting blown out in and they should be losing from based on their record and um, based on who they're against. But their, their Achilles heel has been 
really dumb coaching decisions and and (laughs) decisions during the game. I'm not sure um, if they can overcome that knowing knowing who is in charge, even though they can recognize, um, for example, in in the last game that we just went through, there was some um, really horrible clock management and and (laughs) decisions made at the end of both halves, first half and second half of the game that the Broncos should have come uh, come away with the win otherwise. And I'm not sure if they can um, get over their their big hump of horrible in-game decision management by their coaching staff. But I think, honestly, as a comparison as far as talent and um, what what they can do on the on the field and, and knowing they're coming off of a bye and they have extra time to prepare, I think they if if they can actually manage these in game, they, they can win this one. Yeah, I think they match up okay. I don't think not I don't think great, but I think they match up okay. Um I mean, I I just don't believe they have and it, it's going to be interesting now, but I mean, I'm not sure that that's a team that's driven to win. And let's go on to I mean, Demarius Thomas after the Houston game had a whole bunch of pretty disparaging things to say about how the team was being run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's and, let's let's talk about <laughs> Demarius. Let's be honest, he was bitter, <laughs> bitter <Yep>. AF <laughs> over the Broncos and that coaching staff and how they were they were running it the last season and a half that he was there. So, but, I mean, I think there was some things you know, some things I think um, you know they weren't. They weren't upfront and honest with them, and I think that actually in free agency and other things like that, that's probably going to come back to haunt the Broncos. Uh, you know, a, a team that can at least be upfront and honest and say, you know, this is something we're looking at. You know, sometimes you don't want to hear the truth, but I think you respect that at least. Mm-hmm. There are other things though. I mean, we hit on it before. Him being bitter about not being voted team captain. You know what? That's on. That's that's your peers deciding that 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 you're not in a position like that. He's got to let some of that stuff go. Right. But, I mean, the whole coaching and playing to win type thing and things like that, I mean, they're still not coaching and playing to win, I think, as a team. Um, they probably are potentially closer than they appear because they are at least hanging in these games. But, you know, you got to close. You have to finish that execution. Um, and I think even against the Chargers, a team that is finishing the execution, right? I mean, there's some of these games that they've played. It's been pretty close in the first half, and then they break it open in the second half. You know, they, they wait for the opportunity and they strike. And the Broncos wait for that opportunity and they find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. That's true. And, you know, I think some of the comments that Demarius had about the coaching staff and specifically about his head coach really speaks a lot as far as where where could the mindset for the rest of this team be at this point when you can't even trust your own head coach and what he's telling you. Uh, like he, he specifically said that when Vance came up to him and said, don't listen to the trade talk, that's not true. It's not going to happen. That, so then why is my agent calling me and telling me that Elway is trying to get a fifth round pick for me? Who should well, I believe at this what point? What the heck was Vance thinking? <laughs> I have no idea what Vance was thinking. I mean, that's like the world's worst motivational thing when you know that it's not true. I, I just don't understand. <laughs> that makes less sense to me than the 62-yard field goal, which... What what really killed me on at least that decision because we haven't had a podcast since at least that game, um, you know I to a degree I get when you're on a losing streak and you're trying to find a spark I get trying to push in certain situations, but situationally you've got to know that you're coughing up three points if you miss. I mean it's the same criticism that Kubiak took when they lost the Chiefs overtime game, um, in Kubiak's final season where he went for a win in a situation that wasn't ideal, 
Um, and he ended up costing them the game and actually cost them a playoff spot as as things turned out against right. the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, what... I, I, what, I just, what is your what is it, this the lack of situational awareness exactly is yeah. is mind-boggling and at the game at the end of the game again let's go conservative like i'll get out oh my and gosh. makes us Why? as hard on mcmanus who already who we already put through the 62 yarder you know 30 mm-hmm. minutes 30 in, playing minutes in, beforehand in the wind i mean yep. we we were both at that game the elements yep. were not great to kick a long field goal the the wind was was very strong swirling all over the place and to say that you were um, just trying to to get points on the board and to come out with a win is ridiculous because they, they weren't playing for the win. If you were playing for the win, you would go for a touchdown or at least try to move it a little bit further down the field to make it an easier field goal in those kind of elements. Yes, McManus has, has uh, a leg and he's been fairly reliable this season outside of this last game. But when you're playing in the elements like that against a tough team, you you need to have a, a little bit more um, you know motivation instead of just trying to play it safe and not cough up a ball to give it back to them. It's a 62 yard field goal is not a sure bet, even if you have Brandon McManus or anyone kicking for you, especially in in this season in the NFL. I don't think there's any sure kicker in this league anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, games are being lost over extra point uh, misses, which used to be an, an automatic point. So I, I don't think, while it's extremely unfair um, to a kicker, I mean, that's their one job, is is to kick the field goal, you shouldn't be putting it in the hands of your kicker and expecting them to be able to, to make a long field goal like that and that it's automatic points for you. Yeah, twice. Twice. Don't do it twice. <laughs> you think you would learn after the first half, but yeah. no. <laughs> And then Bill O'Brien, I don't know if, if everyone's seen the video clip of him uh, calling oh, yes. Vance a disparaging remark. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, we... Especially when Bill when Bill O'Brien, of all the coaches, who's just... Who's, the only reason he hasn't been canned is that he plays in the AFC South. I was going to say, his, one, <laughs> the one coach whose job has probably been on the line the last several seasons uh, doesn't have any room to talk about the, the coach across the field, <laughs> but... But yeah, when when you have someone like Bill O'Brien saying thanks, you dumb bleep <laughs> <laughs> um, over your decisions, you're you're in a bad spot. Yeah, so I mean, I think the Chargers will be interesting, but I think also, I mean, the Chargers are the Chargers are starting to turn on at the right time, and no one's paying attention to them. It's the perfect spot to be. Um, but I mean, let's go. Let's shift away from the Broncos for a little bit. Go to another game we were talking about earlier. Uh, the first real AFC NFC real title bout in Mexico City. Yes. You know? So, uh, so yeah, because of co- of course it would end up in Mexico City, <laughs> right? The Rams not anticipating that they might be good, right? Um, you know, so you have the Chiefs and the Rams playing each other. So, I mean, arguably, I mean, the Chiefs right now are playing like the best team in the AFC. The Rams up until the Saints game playing like the best team in the NFC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's not just an interesting potential Super Bowl matchup, but it's an interesting interesting balance between the two conferences, which over the last few years has really skewed towards the NFC being the far superior conference. So sure. who comes out of this game? Well, especially you're essentially taking home field advantage away from both teams on top of that too. Um, so it makes it even a little bit more interesting as far as how this will pan out uh, because um, – 
you know, the Chiefs historically play very well and at home at Arrowhead. They And just the way that stadium is built, um, it can get really loud and noisy in there. And, um, you know, the, the Rams are, are newer to L.A. <laughs> coming back. There will be more Rams fans <laughs> in Mexico City than there will be yeah, in Yeah, but, but, I mean, you are, you are taking away home field advantage from either team. Um, you know, I... I watched this this last uh, Sunday. I did watch the um, Chiefs game against the Cardinals, and and honestly, the the Chiefs they they look they they were under pressure a lot for a team that is kind of a dumpster fire. I mean, I I do think that the the Cardinals are in a bad situation as far as what they have available to play on the field and um, what they have um, as far as running their team. They're in a little bit of a bad spot, but it was a game that the Chiefs um, playing in Arrowhead should have just blown them out. Yep, and and, and it was a close game for the majority of that game. Uh, the Cardinals hung tough, and they were putting a lot of pressure on Mahomes. They were playing a team playing like a team that's that's been able to watch a little bit of game film and start to figure out uh, what Mahomes is about. So, um, I mean, having just gone to Phoenix, there's nothing else to do but watch game film if right. you're in Phoenix. So right. they've got oodles of time. And then on the other side, you have the Rams, who have the youngest head coach in the NFL in Sean McVay. And he definitely is not afraid to take risks when it comes to his team, which can sometimes um, come back to bite them um, when you're getting a little bit too risky with, with your team. But um, I think I, I, I see the Rams coming away with this game. I think they have a lot of talent on that offense and the Chiefs defense is is nowhere on where they used to be and where they should be and I think ultimately um, playing on an even playing field in another country in Mexico City where <laughs> those fans are probably don't even aren't sure if they're watching American football or soccer <laughs> when they show up to the game um, I think the Rams are going to pull away with the, with the victory on that one yeah I mean I think I think that's the case too I think I mean, I'm pretty cynical on Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid's good until, I mean, December's coming up, and that's usually when Andy Reid starts to <laughs> have his sphincter tighten just a little bit. And that is prime goes super conservative, conservative Andy Reid time. The yep. month of once we hit December 1st. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Um, but I think, I, th I think also it's one of those cases, I mean, the Rams are still a fairly injured football team um, from what they could be. They're not quite healthy yet, and I think that's certainly going to impact it. But I think the Rams... You know, they, they had a wake-up call against New Orleans. Um, New Orleans, now everyone's talking about, is the class of the NFC. Um, yes, they beat the Rams. I'm not convinced that they're that the Rams aren't still the better team, that ultimately in a rematch, that it's not going to be the Rams that come out of it because that still holds my Super Bowl guess intact, too. So I'm more than a little biased on this thing. Um, but, you know, I think the Rams have quite a bit more to prove. I think they're quite a bit more battle-hardened than the Chiefs. Because um, the NFC is tougher, um, it it just is. I mean, that's where mm -hmm. that's where the talent is right now. That's where the quality coaching is right now. Um, and the Chiefs, you know, I mean, they've had some closer games, but I'm not sure the Chiefs have been tested to the level that they're going to be testing the Rams. And I don't know if they're going to come out on top on this. Hey, let's be honest. If the Broncos could give them a game twice this season uh, and and make it tougher, yep. the Chiefs, that just shows things right there because <laughs> <laughs> the Broncos are. Nothing to get excited about right now. So if they can hang tough and should have won, although they didn't, if they should have won both of those games, I think that says it all right there. 
All right. So now, uh, on that note, let's pull out. Let's pull out the cheat sheet because I need to double check on the stuff. <laughs> so playoffs are not too far away. No, no. So who's going? All right. Well, should we start with the AFC or the NFC? You know, let's let's start with the NFC since we're both high on the NFC <laughs> being the superior conference right now. Yeah, you know, I was going to say is is the NFC Championship <clears throat> game really going to be like the Super Bowl this year than the actual Super Bowl? Um, I still see it being, I mean, maybe, I don't think this is like the, uh, the yesteryears when the NFC championship game was the Super Bowl and the AFC team was, was there to just get completely steamrolled by the other, by the other side. I still think it's closer. I think it's closer than it used to be on some of these things, but I think the more entertaining playoffs are certainly going to be on the NFC side of things because there's more competitive teams. I think For there's sure. a there's a distinctive tier one, tier two in the AFC. Sure. And in the NFC, there's I think even there even though there are some mm-hmm. other teams that are struggling a little bit, um, you know, preseason favorites, the the Vikings are struggling some. Um, Philly is really struggling. I mean, I'm not really sure what's going on in Philadelphia. That's mm-hmm. a lack of focus, or you know, if they, it's a Super Bowl hangover. They, I mean, I, I mean it they, is, they party hard in Philly, yeah. so you know they might still be literally hungover from from January. That's a hangover that could last a few years. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, so we could take it by division by division. So yeah, let's do that. So the NFC East, I think, is extremely weak. I, I mean, as you just brought up, um, Philly, the reigning Super Bowl champions, are in the NFC East, and I think that whole division is mediocre at best. Yep. Um, the the Giants are are already selling off their team and are playing for like five seasons from now, trying to rebuild, <laughs> um, <laughs> not disguising anything at this point. Um, the big NFC East battle of Dallas and Philadelphia was the most mediocre game that I could have probably <laughs> ever watched this season. Um, Washington, I think, looks the best out of that that um, division, except for the fact that they have Alex Smith as their quarterback, and they've just been hit with a slew of injuries, and I'm not sure if, if they can yeah, overcome. The three starters in a game. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not sure ending. they can ultimately <laughs> overcome those to make it through the rest of the season. Um, so, you know, the NFC is probably the toughest one for me just because it, it is a division of mediocrity, and I'm not sure where it's all going to shake out and who's going to be the, the least mediocre between um, really three of the four, since we can um, really just write off the Giants as, as not com- competitive at all at this <laughs> point, which would... Uh, I, I'm so glad that my, my father is not around to watch the last couple seasons for the Giants anymore <laughs> because that would have really put him over the edge. The, the, um, the <laughs> ending with a whimper as Eli Manning. <laughs> yes. Um, I... I I think that as far as the NFC East, I think Philly is going to figure it out somehow and, and come out as as the, the champion in that division because I just don't think that Washington's going to be able – while they're they're currently in, in the lead right now in the division, they're 6-3, and three, I just think they have too many injuries and they have Alex Smith um, that they, they're not going to be able to maintain it for the rest of the season. And Dallas is, is just going to get in the way of themselves um, <laughs> for this season. Um, I think Philly is going to somehow figure it out to win the division, although I think that's probably where it's going to end for them in the playoffs. Um, for the NFC North, um, Chicago, Chicago surprisingly looks really good for <laughs> how... <laughs> 
horrible they have been for I can't even think of how many of the last um, seasons. Um, I think they're going to hold on, and they're they're going to to be able to keep the the title away from Minnesota um, because Minnesota is just so all over the place. Um, you know, the Vikings look amazing one week, and then they get blown out by the Bills the next week, um, and. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit with Green Bay while they have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. I think they've sold off a little bit too much of their talent and, and they just don't have um, what it takes to, to keep going. So I think um, the Bears are going to win the title and, and the Vikings are going to get a wild card um, in the NFC. Um, going on to the South, the NFC South, um, Saints obviously are, are going to come away with that the division um, in that regards. And I think uh, the Panthers are going to get the, the second wild card spot in the NFC. I, while I don't think the Panthers are as good of a team as how they're playing, I think I think ultimately they're going to be able to, to work their way into this, the second wild card spot there in the NFC. And then in, in the West, we have um, the Rams taking that, that last uh, playoff spot. And I think ultimately the championship game in the NFC is going to be between uh, the Rams and the Saints. So, let's see. What do I agree on there? Uh, the Rams, I think. Yeah, I got to stick with the Rams until mm-hmm. until they're out. Because that's who to. I that called. That was your pick to, it, Heck, to go to yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think there's no one else in the NFC West. I mean, I think Seattle Seattle has backslid pretty pretty aggressively. They've lost a ton of the talent and the yeah, depth. I mean, the Legion of Boom is not the Legion of Boom anymore. That defense no. is nowhere to where they were in their, their Super Bowl days. And I think Russell Wilson, as good as he is, doesn't have the sporting cast to be able to come back on anything. He also has a horrific offensive line. The good yep. thing that Russell Wilson has that Case Keenum does not is that Russell Wilson is a very mobile quarterback. And yep. he can get out of the pocket and actually run for uh, run for his life versus Case Keenum. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, I mean, I think in the South, I think it's New Orleans is obviously the, uh, I mean, they're the front runner in that division. I think they hold out. I agree with you. I think Carolina um, holds on for the wild card, although Carolina's got some flaws being exposed. They had a pretty rough week this week. Um, and I think Cam Newton, you know, I mean, Cam Newton has flashes of greatness, and Cam Newton has flashes of moments when he runs into adversity, and I think he still folds in that, and I think he's he's going to he's gonna hold serve on that, and they'll mm-hmm. probably be one of them in the playoffs. For sure. Uh, the NFC North, I agree on the teams, but I don't think I agree on the order. I think Minnesota... Still has the depth. Um, I think Chicago has the inexperience, although they're playing hot right now. Um, but I think those teams flip-flop. I think Minnesota ends up pulling it out. Um, it's weird, but those ties always end up coming to play where it seems to always favor the team with the tie for whatever reason, unless you're <laughs> Cleveland. Um, but I mean, it, Cleveland's the exception to, to, every, to every rule in football. Um, but I mean, I think, I think honestly... Minnesota Minnesota just has too much talent and too much ability that even though they've been inconsistent and I think that's been their Achilles heel um, I think they the experience plays out a little bit too down the stretch and Chicago while I think they're up and coming I think they can get the wild card but I'm not sure that they're able to sustain the success both with the experience of quarterback and a head coach true although I'm, I'm just not sure that Kirk Cousins is, is going to be able to to play up to that contract in, in Minnesota and be able to, to bring them the division title. And as one of our very good friends is a very diehard Vikings fan, 
Um, he he very hi pessim- Danny. He very pessimistically <laughs> looks at his team every single week, and for whatever reason, Minnesota has had the worst luck with kickers um, for <laughs> for the last several years. I can I can just already see the history being written that this division title is going to come down to a field goal that the Vikings are going to miss <laughs> <laughs> and give them the wild card over <laughs> Chicago. I mean, as much as they have that horrific history in play, I mean, I think going on Cousins. I mean, the thing with Cousins. Is, I mean, I think they probably overpaid a little bit. I mean, the fully guaranteed contract comes into play and all those things. Uh, but I mean, as Case Keenum demonstrated, Minnesota does not need, they do not need Cousins to play out of his gourd to, to win. They need him to play servicely um, or just a little above average to be able to win. And I think he's fully capable of that. He's in a good situation for his skill set, I think. Um, and I think it plays out. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll see, though. And then, uh, good old NFC East. Um, <laughs> part of me wants to say that somehow Dallas seeks it out because I'd find it comical that Jason Garrett continues his streak <laughs> of being the coach because he's just good enough to uh, avoid Jerry Jones's wrath on some things. <laughs> um, boy, I mean, this this one is that, tough. That's the toughest division, isn't it? Yep. It's just full of mediocrity, and you can't... It's, it's hard to predict who is going to be the least mediocre by the season end. Yeah, I mean, I think Washington, it's tempting, I mean, based on the things right now, to pick Washington, but I mm-hmm. think I trust Alex Smith is one thing, but Jay Gruden, I just think, he's he's a mediocre coach, and those teams end up sliding back to that 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven season, and while 9-7 and seven might be enough to do it there, I'm not sure that they are any better than that. Um, I mean, I think Philly still... Philly still has the most talent. If they, they do. don't end up coming out and winning, winning in the division, um, you know that's that's going to be a massive letdown for them. And that, honestly, it's going to be it's it's going to be super unjustified. I mean, you've got there will be a whole bunch of questions. Even though they won a Super Bowl, you know they they should be better than they are. Um, I think they end up being better than they are, but um, and and coming out winning in the division. But I think there's not a lot of future there because there's two other powerhouses. Um, that are that are going to keep going, and it's going to be the Rams and the Saints. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so we're we're mostly in line on the NFC. Surpris- on the NFC, surprisingly. <laughs> so AFC. <All> right. <laughs> Does this mean I get to go first? Yeah, you get to start the AFC. All right, AFC East. Um, I mean, I think New England. You know, New England continues to benefit from being in the AFC East and in a division of other teams that can't seem to figure out how to pull it together across what 16 17 18 years of of new england dominance i think new england comes out of it but there are a whole bunch of question marks i mean they the the game in tennessee um is going to be a real turning point for their season for good or for ill i mean this could be like the kansas city game a few years ago the we're on to the on to cincinnati game mm-hmm. um but i think there's there's just something that doesn't feel the same about about the patriots this is the time of year when they historically start pulling it together and this is the time of year now where they are starting to they're starting to show cracks and no amount of mediocrity in the rest of the division is going to save them from getting into the playoffs and and struggling on that i actually would predict that they get in and they're going to encounter the chiefs and the chiefs are going to have some matter of, of revenge against the patriots um but not not enough to save them if we get there. <laughs> so I mean, I don't think there's any wild card out of the AFC East, but I think it's still. I mean, as as road as it is at this point, I think it's New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AFC North, 
tricky division. I mean, earlier in the season, I would have said Baltimore was kind of pulling it together, but it seems like, I mean, Joe Flacco, now we have the whole controversy of, is he intentionally ignoring Jackson when he's on the out on the field? Um, I don't know if you saw that entire play. The uh, Lamar Jackson runs into the end zone completely uncovered, and Flacco completely ignores him. Right. Um, <laughs> all the debate over whether or not that was intentional. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Flacco says it wasn't, but Flacco's been doing everything he can to avoid Jackson. Uh, you know, tough, tough to tough to tell what was really going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, falling back, I think at at the end of the day, Pittsburgh, unlike New England, Pittsburgh is starting to figure it out. Um, they're starting to come together. The offense is starting to click. Um, they're demonstrating that they don't need Le'Veon Bell, which will be interesting for Le'Veon Bell. Um, that's a whole that's a whole conversation we should hit on real quick. The will Le'Veon <laughs> Bell get what he wants out of this unprecedented holdout that he's in the midst of? But I mean, I think it's I think Pittsburgh's going to run away with it. Um, Cincinnati, you can't really trust. I mean, I would actually say though, from a wild card spot, I think there's a decent chance Cincinnati makes it in. Um, that seems to be Marvin Lewis's calling card as one of the wild card teams. He'll get in and immediately get ousted. Uh, both as a team and probably at that point as the coach. Um, I think in the South, boy, the South, you know, is tough. I could easily see, um, I could see Tennessee giving Houston a run for their money, but I'm not sure that they can quite pull it out. It's another, I think, to a degree experience thing. I think there's just more experience on Houston, although I think Houston's another one-and-done team. They're another team that's also able to capitalize on their division since uh, Bill O'Brien took over. Um but not able to capitalize the way that the Patriots do, where you can then make a run in the playoffs. They're able to capitalize to get in and immediately get knocked off. But I see uh, I see Houston being the only team from the AFC South making it in. And then the AFC West, the powerhouse that takes advantage <laughs> of the poor Broncos. Uh, Chiefs going in. I think the Chiefs uh, make it to the championship game. And honestly, I see the Chargers making it to the championship game too. Because nobody's paying attention to them, but they're turning it on. I mean, they turned it on even before the right time. And I think there's extra motivation on the Chargers' part to win one for Rivers. Because this could be arguably his last best chance at it. Um, I just think they have more to play for, even though they have no fan base to speak of anymore. Since they're, they've been ousted from their own city, and now they play in this dinky little soccer stadium. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, everything's just coming together for, for the Chargers. I think that... I think the Chiefs will end up knocking off the Patriots to get there. The Chargers will go the long, the wild card long route. Um, and I still see the Chargers coming out on top because Andy Reid just chokes it away in the playoffs. And I just don't see, I don't see how he'll be able to avoid himself. Yeah, you know, I I agree with 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 most of, of what you predicted for the AFC going back to the um, AFC East. Um, New England, obviously Patriots, I think are, are going to end up the division winners. Um, there's just not a lot of competition in that division at this time. And there hasn't been, um, really for, for some time. It, it's a soft division, which I think the Patriots have benefited, um, over the years for, um, and my Miami is their closest competitor at this point, but between, Brock Osweiler is currently their starting quarterback. Um, I'm not. Hey, he's 500. We take that. <laughs> no, we, we all we all know about the mediocrity of Brock Osweiler. <laughs> so ultimately, while you might look somewhat competitive, you're not going to get much farther <laughs> than where you are at this point. So, um, Patriots are obviously going to to come come away with the win on the the AFC East side. 
Um, AFC North, I think it is um, one of the, the tougher divisions. I think Pittsburgh um, is not the same Steelers team that they've been over the years. But I, I think, um, as you pointed out, they've they've been starting to figure it out over the last few games. And I think, honestly, maybe the Le'Veon Bell holdout has really benefited that locker room and that team. Um to to perform and do a, a little bit better than than what I would have thought. I, I really wouldn't have thought the Steelers to to go for it at the beginning of this season, but for, for some strange reason, I think um, Le'Veon holding out and kind of some of the animosity that it's caused um, with him <laughs> and some of the other teammates in the locker room has really benefited that team. And I think they're um, they're going to come away with uh, the AFC North um, in the South. I, I think. The South is is the division that I think is is the um, it's the toughest division. Not necessarily because that that division has the most talent, but those teams are just are so um, in line with each. It's almost like um, the NFC East um, and and the mediocrity. Um, at the beginning of the season, you would think it would be Jacksonville, but they they've been regressing um, as the seasons progressed. The Colts have always historically been a contender, and Andrew Luck is looking um, like he's he's re- coming off a good season, recovering well yep. from from um, his injury. But I just don't think the the Colts are really um, where they they should be in order to be able to make a late run and and make a game out of it. Um, Tennessee, I I think. Um, they're actually who I think are, are my, my wild card pick. I was going back and forth between um, Tennessee and Cincinnati. Ultimately, I think Cincinnati is always um, kind of in there in the hunt for a wild card staple, but I do think ultimately they, they get taken in by Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, and <laughs> they um, I, I think that Tennessee takes that other wild card spot and that Houston it, it's going to be a race between Tennessee and Houston for the division. Um, but Houston, even though they have Bill O'Brien as their head coach, who seems to try to do whatever he can to foil that team, I think they just have a little bit more talent as far as with Deshaun Watson as quarterback, really um, coming off his, um, you know, his injury season. He's he started out so hot last season, and to to come down with with his injury and miss the rest of it, I think he's now starting to feel a little bit comfortable coming back into the season and and feeling where. Um, feeling the game again and, and where he needs to be and where he should be playing. And, and now they have DT on top of that on the other side of the field with um, DeAndre Hopkins um, now that Will, Will uh, Fuller's out. Um, I think Houston is eventually going to take that division um, from Tennessee, and, and Tennessee is going to fight hard, but they're ultimately going to get the wild card. Um, and then our, our AFC West, I, I think that unfortunately it's just not a very – competitive division um with john gruden trying to do everything he can to sabotage the raiders for the next (laughs) few years and vance joseph making um horrible decisions to sabotage his job and and the season for the broncos i think it comes down to kansas city and the chargers um kansas city um, ultimately, I, I don't think they have enough competition in the Chargers um, to take away the division. I think the Chargers will get the, the other wild card spot. Um, as far as how who's going to be in the AFC Championship game, that, that one's a little tough for me too. I, I did pick the Patriots to be the AFC winners just because the Patriots always seem to, to figure it out because um, I... I think whether Bill Belichick is is cheating to do it or <laughs> actually 
scheming his way. The Patriots always are able to pull it out to get into the championship game. Um, and while Kansas City seems like the toughest team in the, the AFC to overcome at this point, I think ultimately, as we kind of touched on, Andy Reid is, is, is going to choke this one away for Kansas City and, and another year of not going to the Super Bowl will be safe um, <laughs> for, for the Chiefs, although... I'm not. I'm not quite convinced that the Chargers are going to be in the championship game with the Patriots. I feel like I have to stick with the Patriots just um, in the champ- championship game, just because that's who that was my pick in the beginning of the season. I kind of feel like, um, for whatever reason, it's it's going to be either Houston or Tennessee against the the Patriots in the championship game. Well, you can't cop out on that. Is it Houston or Tennessee? <laughs> well, I I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be Houston. You think Houston goes to the AFC Championship game? I do. Yeah, um, interesting. It's I know it's it's a I'm, I'm throwing in a, <laughs> a big curveball, but I, I I feel like it's going to be someone that's that's not quite as expected as you were saying. The Chargers have been flying under the radar, um, which I can completely see them them going a little bit um, further into the championship game. But ultimately, I just. I just know the Chargers and Philip Rivers and his shot put throwing technique. I just I'm not sure if they can make it all the way. I, I feel like it's going to be a surprise, and and a team that maybe um, the other it, that other teams aren't preparing for and taking as seriously. And I think it's going to be the AFC South, um, whether it's Houston or Tennessee. But I ultimately feel like it's going to be Houston. I don't know. I, I just I feel like Deshaun Watson is is really starting to hit his stride and is is kind of figuring out. Um, coming back from his injury, um, how to move forward with the team. And when he has DeAndre Hopkins and DT on, on either side to throw to and J.J. Watt on the defense, I, I even though Bill O'Brien I, I don't um, feel very strongly about as far as coaching decisions, I, I think it's, it's going to be Houston. Hmm. So you think Houston will knock off two teams on their way to the AFC Championship? I do. I'm just, all right. Okay. Well, you heard it. You heard it here first, folks. All right. Wrapping up, uh, Le'Veon Bell and then game prediction. So Le'Veon Bell, uh, this is for uh, for Scott out there. Uh, this is we're recording this the day before the last day that he can report, so that we can so contextualize. When you, when you listen to this, you, listen to this, you know you know when it was. <laughs> Um, good, good old Scott, uh, was making comments on the accuracy of our predictions when he listened to the podcast about <laughs> 10 weeks later, which I suppose is a fair criticism that it was in a little out of date. I could go either way. Um, so Le'Veon Bell is likely going to hold out for the entire season, forego the franchise tag to attempt to cash in on free agency on the logic that he is protecting his body and this will buy him a couple more years. Um, so going into free agency, presumably that the Steelers won't want to mess with it, um, at a time when they have a running back who is tearing it up. I mean, I think he's, I think Connor has 10 touchdowns now. He's got over a thousand yards from scrimmage. Yeah, um, that, halfway halfway through the season, I think that doesn't even factor in what just that, happened this weekend. He has a great personal story as well, overcoming cancer. I mean, how can you not root for a guy like like Connor at this point and and just <laughs> like push your your holdout superstar to the side? <laughs> so yeah, right. So I mean, it's interesting. I mean, for me, the biggest question on this isn't necessarily what happens to Bell, although that's interesting. Does this pay off for him or not? But I mean, this is a truly unprecedented move in the NFL. The franchise tag is something that. 
that the players have argued against for years and years, um, although never enough to get rid of it. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it puts them, it puts key players in a position of extreme disadvantage because it takes away any chance at negotiating for their livelihood. Uh, and some players, you know, protest against that. Others are able to, you know, pivot it to their advantage, a la Kirk Cousins, who's going to go on a six-year streak of fully guaranteed contracts. Um, but he's he's clearly the exception, not the rule. I mean, so I think, one, does this pay off for Le'Veon Bell? You know, does he does he get what he's really looking for from a high-paying multi-year contract? And and secondly, I mean, what does what does this do for what the franchise tag means to these players? How they how they approach it? I mean, do other people follow in Bell's example? And does this come come up again and potentially change negotiations since the CBA expires in twenty twenty? You know, I think in the long run, I'm not sure it's going to have as big a as effect in the NFL. Um, I think. I, I think, honestly, it's blown up in, in Le'Veon's face um, as far as um, getting his big contract and um, protecting his li- livelihood for the next season. Because, um, unfortunately for him, the Steelers did have a, a diamond in the rough and a, a, a formidable backup in Connor, who has who has played... Um, to level, if not even sometimes better, honestly, than maybe Le'Veon could have been well, playing this season. So I think it's really blown up in his face as far as negotiation tactics for for the next season. And on top of that, you look at someone like Des Bryant, who has not been playing this season. He, he A little bit situ- different situation. He hasn't necessarily been holding out because of a franchise tag like Le'Veon Bell, um, although he hasn't been playing and he's been waiting for the the right fit and the right contract to come his way, he gets signed by the Saints and God, what, what not even a, two, two days, days later, tears his Achilles and is out for the season because he's not in playing shape and and he's not there to to be able to compete. And I think that really um, shows something. Um, you know, unfortunately for these these players, which which is their livelihood, we're playing the game. It. it it speaks volumes to those executives in in the back office and looking at that going great hold out you're not you're not benefiting yourself in the long run we can find someone else to to plug in and play and you're just hurting yourself in the long run well i mean i i think i agree on some of that stuff i'm not completely convinced that connor is the diamond in the rough honestly i mean he's playing extraordinary but for me i mean you have bell and connor what's for me what's more likely that they were both extraordinary players or that there's a system there that really features the running back in a position that maximizes their strengths. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, to a degree, I, mean, I think, that's I think that's, that's, I mean, that's a, a historically heavy running, uh, offense. In, yeah, Jerome Steelers. Bettis, you sure, know, yeah, Jerome Bettis yeah. before that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've, I've met Rocky fridge, Blyer, right? yeah. who, yeah, uh, like who, uh, I wore his Super Bowl rings and Rocky <laughs> Blyer isn't even, uh, one of those hall of famers and, and was still a, a formidable running back duo with the Steelers. I mean, they they have historically have had a very strong system built for their running backs, so, uh, whether that talent was actually there or not. But I think that's unfortunately what's um, hurt Le'Veon is he made assumptions that his talent is better than the system they have in place in that organization. Well, I think he made assumptions, and that, I mean, he was the one who was arguing should he be paid more because he does more than just being a running back and he has receiving skills as well. But I think it kind of reinforces the reality of today's NFL as well. Even franchise tag and all that set aside, right? The true value of the running back is not what it used to be. Um, and, you know, there are quite a few people who can be plugged into these systems as the running back and have decent success. 
Um, and it's simply not worth the money that Le'Veon Bell's looking for. And I think he's going to, I think it's going to negatively impact him. Um, now, not only the fact that, you know, it, it indicates that maybe it wasn't all necessarily him because Connor's having success. Uh, but now you have the negative perception from all these other teams that are going to wonder, you know, at what point does Le'Veon Bell decide that he's not happy with the contract and he stays away? Mm-hmm. Now, I know the franchise tag is a little different that since he didn't sign it, there's not necessarily any, you know, penalties or getting fined or anything like that that a contract comes along with because a contract you can certainly be fined. He's not getting paid because he hasn't signed a contract. He's not technically under contract. Right. Um, but, I mean, I think it's certainly going to – I think it will impact him some. I don't think he's going to get what he wanted. I bet he still gets a pretty good contract from somebody. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who goes for him. Honestly, I could see um, – I mean, I would have said Cleveland at one point in time, but Chubb's starting to really turn it on in Cleveland, so mm-hmm. that's a tough sell. Not So I'm not entirely sure – who will make a play for him necessarily. Right. Um, but I mean, I don't think it'll pay off quite in the way that he wanted to, but I think, I think it will, depending on the contract he gets, I still think there's a chance that it makes people start to rethink how the franchise tag could be worked. Sure. Because this is such an unprecedented move that at the end of the day, you know, most people who ended up on the franchise tag, you know, to hold out to the last second, then they ended up showing up because the reality is it's set up where unless you're willing to forego what is a pretty sizable amount of fully guaranteed money, Mm-hmm. Um, which most players are not in a position to say, you know, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's case is like, you know, I think I'll pass on my $14 million. Most players are not in that situation, right? You're <laughs> most most your career, humans are not most, in that yeah, right. situation. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still, it's still a, I think it still highlights it's a pretty, it's, it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very unfair system that really puts unfair power in the, in the hands of teams who already have a ton of power. They have no obligations to put fully guaranteed contracts out, which other sports, you know, baseball, mm-hmm. you know, they're fully guaranteed contracts on, right. on some of those things. It already takes a position that these players are in that's pretty dis- disadvantageous from a negotiating power standpoint and makes it even worse. And I think it's something that even though, you know, as fans, I think certain fans appreciate that they can, that a team can kind of do that to try to keep their star, star players in. I still think it highlights that there's a fundamentally broken system here that needs to get addressed. For sure. I just, um, and I completely agree with you on that point. And I, I agreed, honestly, with, with Le'Veon's decision and to hold out. I, you know, I thought it would pan out with him until yeah, Connor tore it. And I, I thought it was, it was a great decision on his part. I just, told, unfortunately, I don't think Le'Veon ended up being in the best situation to really um, highlight that for the players because the Sealers did end up having a great um, plan B essentially mm-hmm. to, to plug in and, and they're doing um, just fine. If not, honestly, I, I better than I think what they could have been doing if Le'Veon was playing. So I, while I completely agree with that, and I do think the franchise tag is, is extremely unfair to players and ultimately the NFL is a business and those back office um, executives are going to run the system. It's, it's, it's a really unfair um organization in regards to players because it doesn't as as we kind of even touched on earlier in this episode it doesn't matter what that player has contributed in their career to the organization the ultimately the the executives are making are going to make the decision on what's best for the organization and not what's in the player's mind and they have such short careers on top of that it's it's extremely unfair to them i just unfortunately don't think that this situation has played out to the point where it's going to open the eyes of any other teams in the nfl to to change um that process or or to change the franchise tag because it's it's kind of blown up in in levion's face and um 
while while I agree to he he is he's a running back and he's more than a running back they use him um, as a receiver um, and he's one of the premier running backs in the in the league the NFL has has morphed over the years into a passing league and running back is not the premier position on a team anymore I mean it's it's wide receivers quarterback and the offensive line to protect them all um so running backs don't win championships exactly there's a cold cold brutal reality there they are not leading any team to to the promised land Mm -hmm. they're just they're just not teams that have a strong running back as a complementary piece can go pretty far but unfortunately and unfortunately for these guys playing that position that's a brutal position too i mean you're Mm -hmm. taking one to the top of the noggin every play Right. Um, but you you are a complimentary piece to the offense of today's NFL and exactly. that's and that's the reality of it. Exactly. And so unfortunately for Levion and unfortunately for um, the rest of the players in the NFL, I don't think that his holdout is ultimately gonna benefit them. Um, and part of it is just because the Steelers were in a good situation that they had they had a good plan B to, to put in place for him. So mm-hmm. um Le'Veon unfortunately better... misses out on a paycheck for an entire year. He can luckily afford it, and he can keep partying in Miami or wherever he wants to be. And and I'm sure he's going to get a pretty lucra- lucrative contract next season. I kind of almost feel like it might be with someone like the Jets, um, who are just kind of a, you know, they're they're kind of a guessing game at running back. They do they can plug and play their guys as needed, and they, and they do all right. I mean, Isaiah Crowell rushed for over 200 yards against the Broncos, mm-hmm. but. I, I see him going somewhere. Everybody does that. Exactly. <laughs> I, I see him going somewhere with the Jets who were actually in, in talks a little bit earlier in the season as a possible maybe trade partner with the Steelers for Le'Veon in order to get him to sign the franchise tag and, and get him to play. So I'm sure he'll he'll ultimately he'll be okay in the long run and he'll he'll get his money. But if, I don't think he's going to get more than what he would have if, if he didn't hold out. And I don't think it's going to change things for players, um, at least in the near future. So what changes things then? I mean, from the franchise tag standpoint, I mean, what would be the thing that would make the union dig in and hold out on that? Because I think that one of the things is, I mean, the revenue sharing and everything like that has been a big problem for the players in terms of what they've been arguing for. The non-guaranteed contracts are, are is is another thing. I mean, at one point, I mean, there's a few things changing. This this franchise tag thing, at least, at least, I mean, I, I tend to agree. I'm not sure that there's that this will be enough to tip the scales on things. But other things that are happening is fully guaranteed contracts are starting to come out. Um, player safety thing is going to continue to come out. That starts to say, you know, how many people are really going to play this sport? Um, you know, you have um, you have Murray from Oklahoma who signed a baseball contract. He's potentially a Heisman candidate, and he's not going to play football going forward. Because, um, I mean, one, the wear and tear on the body is, is getting there. But two, you know, I mean, he just isn't going to get paid. If he goes to baseball, he's going to get paid. Sure. He's well, going to get paid far more than he will he would have if he was a top-tier quarterback in the NFL. So if he does decently in baseball, he'll get a $300 million contract. Sure. I, I mean, know, at, at one point, does it, at what point, what causes some of these things to pivot? I don't think it's, it's one event or one thing, honestly, um, because... While, while there are all these little things that are coming up over the years, the safety of the NFL and the, the long-term safety of these players after they retire, after they play, that, that are really starting to get a spotlight shown on them, the NFL is still a giant cash cow. People are still going to games. I, I waited on a, a waiting list for 13 years to get my season tickets for the Broncos, and they suck so bad, and I'm still going to all their games. I mean, they're... 
still going to make their money. People are still going to go to games. People are still going to watch them on TV. They're still going to get that different that different revenue sharing unless there was like I don't think it's going to be one event unless it was a monumental event unless Drew Brees gets a franchise tag and refuses to sign it and the Saints just collapse um, in an entire season because they have no one at backup formidable to, to it has to be a chain like a, a elite like game changing position like that which I just don't think you're gonna see so what about Rodgers I believe Rodgers contract comes up here again before if if I remember correctly I think he potentially is up for a contract extension before the CBA mm-hmm. well now he's in. He's on the wrong side of thirty-five. He is. Um, and I'm not. I'd have to go double check with Aaron Rodgers. Is not what I'm talking <laughs> about. But Aaron Rodgers is potentially a candidate along those lines. Sure. I mean, a breeze isn't likely. A breeze not likely. Um, so well, but let's take let's take a couple examples that maybe are Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. I think both potentially come up for contracts before the CBA gets signed, or right around the exact same time. Mm-hmm. We'll double check that here now. Uh, what if one of them does it? I mean, I, that's what I think. I think it has to be a, a game-changing position that like it? that. Le, but, Le'Veon Bell is is unfortunately, while he's he's probably one of, if not the top players at his position, running back is not an elite position in the NFL anymore. It has to be someone like a quarterback. Um, that would, if it would be one player that could change the franchise tag. Oh, Wentz and Goff miss out by a year. <laughs> That's actually fortuitous timing, probably for the NFL that it's off. Because I mean, those are the two up and coming quarterbacks. I think who would most likely, to your point, potentially affect something like that. But it looks mm-hmm. like they miss they miss by one extra year. Sure, but I think, but I think if so, my, to my point, I don't think it'll be one player unless one elite player like a Goff or or well, so one one has, did it, right? has has the balls to not sign his franchise tag and to hold out for the season because I, it is a passing league. And as we can see on the Broncos, we signed Case Keenum for a fair amount of money. I mean, not a, not a astronomical contract, but he, he, we signed him for a fair amount of money and he is mediocre at the very best. It's, it's a position that is hurting in a large part of this league. If you had one person like that, I think that could change it. But well, let's go to if you don't have though. that one person, I think if you have more and more people that 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 follow the Le'Veon um, ideal of not signing their their franchise tag and holding out for the season, that's when it'll maybe start making a difference with those executives. So let's look at the more guarantees though, because that example's already played itself out, right? And not with a top tier. It was Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins enters the free agent market, mm-hmm. high demand for that position, and snags fully guaranteed. Sure. Does that shift over as well? Because I mean, that's now there is a precedent that there is a fully guaranteed NFL contract which hadn't really been heard of unless you were making next to nothing in NFL standards, which is still more than any of us make. Sure. Um, but, I mean, there's he now has a full guaranteed contract, um, which is another thing that these guys have argued for, right? Um, going back again, MLB, um, the NBA, um, I think hockey. Hockey does not have fully guaranteed contracts, although it's not unprecedented. There are people in hockey who do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does, does some of those standards, you know, create some of these more fully guaranteed uh, less incentive-laden contracts, it starts to kind of level the playing field for some of these players. I think, but, 
I think maybe at certain positions, to, to kind of go back to the franchise tag, I don't think league-wide, unfortunately, for some of these guys, because there isn't the necessity in some of the positions to give fully guaranteed contracts. I, I think that they might, though. I think as a precedent for everybody, I, I tend to agree with you. But if I, if I realize that I'm one of the top two or three free agents at any given position... Because each position has its own tiers of getting paid, right? I mean, quarterbacks, quarterbacks are breaking $30 million a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not all these positions do. There are positions that, you know, are breaking. I mean, line, linebackers and upper-tier linebackers in, what, the 8 to eight to $10 million a year. I mean, I think there is now a precedent that will be interesting to see if it plays out, where if I know that I'm the top free agent, I can sit, simply sit there and say, fully guaranteed is what will do it. Anything less, I'm not going to sign. And I bet now that that, now that that can has been opened, I bet some of these teams start to do it. Sure. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, the next even few seasons and, and how those contracts start playing out. I, th- I think we, we might start seeing it in small pockets, and I do think maybe we'll see it in more of those um, really um, top – well, it'll, be, it'll be the top. Well, I, I think not even the top positions necessarily. To your, to your point that the positions are kind of at a premium, but the top one or two free agents at each position may be able to command a fully guaranteed contract. Potentially, although there are there are some positions that I could see. You know, even if you're the top top three on the free agents, if you say I'm not going to sign unless I get a fully guaranteed contract, John Elway or well, um, not John Elway. We know that's a bad know, example. Or, or some <laughs> executive is going to go. Okay, great. I can, I can guarantee you, I can find the fourth um, free top free agent um, who that will. Is, that is John Elway. <laughs> <laughs> who will sign my contract that's not fully guaranteed? So that's okay. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. So I I think I think what we we can start seeing that in some of those positions, but I think it'll be in those positions that are that are top tier, high elite, um, high demand positions where yep. there unfortunately isn't a lot of talent available. But some of those others, um, unfortunately, I, I can see even if if one of those the top two says I'm not signing unless it's fully guaranteed, they're gonna screw themselves. Yep. And and that, that and those executives are gonna go okay, great. Number yep. three will. So yep. <laughs> we're we're good. The the difference in, in your um, production on the field versus theirs is minimal, so we would rather go that route. Yep. Well we'll see. We'll, we'll see how all this plays out. We will. All right. Speaking of how it's gonna play out, last thing. <laughs> Where how does it end on Sunday? Well, I you know, I'm gonna be the optimistic Denver Broncos fan and I I, I feel You did call nine and seven. I, I did. And I, I thought, <laughs> I've got to get as close to that winning record as possible. You know, I think if if the Broncos have any wins left in this season, I think this is one of the ones, um, although few, this is one of the ones they can pull out. Um, coming off a of bye week, playing against a team like the Chargers in their, their rent-a-stadium without <laughs> um, a large fan base behind them, supporting them. Um, yes, the Chargers are flying under the radar, and not very many people are paying attention to them, including myself. But I think um, I think some of those players on the team um, have a little bit more to play for, as, as long as they can overcome their the incompetence of the um, game decisions by their, their coaching staff. I think this is a game that they can win. So I'm gonna I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to say that the Broncos are gonna win this game just because I need them to. <laughs> What's the score? I think it's gonna be close. <laughs> it's not gonna be a blowout on either side. I am going to go with, you know, and I don't I don't think it's gonna be 
be a really like super high scoring game. Um, let's go 24-21 Broncos. All right. McManus is going to redeem himself from <laughs> missing two ridiculous field goals that the, the coaching staff put him in the situation to try to make from last week, and he's going to kick the game winner. I love your optimism. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing for you to have. Um, I think the Broncos keep it close. I do. I think, honestly, through the stretch, I think they're going to keep it close against probably everyone else they play, um, both good and bad. They'll find a way to keep it close with Oakland, too. Um, I think though, I think there's, there's just enough mistakes and from a discipline standpoint that this coaching staff and these, the players, um, themselves, I mean, I think, um, stock talking to a buddy on, on a drive, uh, this week, you know, that I think a lot of the discipline things aren't just the coaching, but it's the leadership of the players, um, or lack thereof. I think there's a, a lack of leadership with the players as well, which means the discipline problems continue that combined with a couple coaching mishaps, um, equals a close loss um i think it's another if i'm guessing i mean it i struggle to say that the broncos are capable of breaking 20 points on on offense by itself <laughs> i don't think uh i don't think the Chargers are going to turn it over and give it to them too much um so i'd say a score of 24 to 18 Ooh. Where, we where both McManus, have the 24 as the we winning we do have score. the 24 <laughs> <laughs> that seems about right. I mean, I'm not sure what the uh, I'm not sure what the defensive points allowed are for the Broncos, but it's probably about 24. Um, I, th- I think. I mean, I think they're they're keeping competitive in these things, but I think the Chargers are are pulling it together, and I think the the Broncos are teetering on the edge of of just tossing it in. Sure. Well, we'll see. One, one very, very last quick thing I wanted to touch on. Oh, that's on. right, Joni. We, we did have a request <laughs> from one of our loyal listeners on a topic to talk about um, for one of our upcoming podcasts. And our good friend Joan uh, brought up to me that she was looking um, for some fantasy football type advice where... Um, you know, she said she she has decisions. Uh, she has good decisions, at least, um, on her team where she has good players uh, where she can put in the lineup, and she feels like she makes the wrong decision every week <laughs> as far as who she puts in the lineup and who she keeps on the bench and wanted some advice as far as how do you know and how do you make those decisions on who you start versus who you sit, especially when you, you have a, a great backup um, bench to, to to play in and plug on those bye weeks. And my short answer is there is no tried and true formula to this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, like I, I have been playing fantasy football for a long time. I do fairly well um, for the most part. I play in a lot of leagues every year. And it is, it's a crapshoot. It is a guessing game. I am, I am victim so many times to benching this guy and in multiple leagues who ends up scoring me 40 points sitting on my bench. <laughs> While the guy that is, has the statistical dream matchup um, gets shut out. So my short answer is there, there is no formula and it is a freaking crapshoot every single week. And no matter how much you look at stats and how much you know about the league and the players and the team, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Joan, I'm going to try to give you a useful answer now. <laughs> um, Henry's a better friend than me, apparently. <laughs> Listen, I won't give you the, I guess you're screwed answer. Because <laughs> I, I love playing fantasy football, but I don't know the answer. <laughs> 
you know, it's the it, my advice on it. It's the uh, it's how how you play poker. Don't play the cards. Play the people. The key the key thing to look at that I like in fantasy isn't necessarily. I mean, the projections and everything like that. Uh, who they are matched up against, I think, is a key thing in terms of who to start and who to, who to bench. Um, you look at each player is going to have a favorable matchup to a degree. You you hope you hope all your players have a favorable <laughs> matchup. Uh, look at who they're playing and the teams that have the the weakest counterpart to that. Uh, those are the people you should start. And there you have it. Yeah. That is the success That's to it. fantasy football. That's right. That will win your league every single time. Every single time. <laughs> That's never failed me. Never, ever. Never. All right. <laughs> On that note, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Until this time, uh, take care. Have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is almost Thanksgiving. Happy you may, holidays. depending on how much we're on top of it, we may or may you may or may not hear we, from us again until then. We may take a Thanksgiving by week. We- <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Talk to y'all soon. Bye.